0: So you're gonna stand right here on the carpet. I'll let you come in so that you can say hi to the teachers and stand right here by the door. Okay. Alrighty. So if you want to come on in, there's a carpet right here. Hi. (laughs) Wow. So this is our infant room. They're very busy. Miss Nikki is on the side over there. She's one, and this is Miss Christy. Hi there. This is Miss Alicia. Like I said, she just started with
1: us. And these are our babies. Oh my goodness. These are all babies. It's hard to believe that's coming so soon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that first tour is always an eye-opener. We're talking about childcare and preschool centers on today's episode. And their employees have some of the toughest, most important jobs in the country right now. In a few moments, we're gonna take you on a tour of one provider's facility For new or existing parents, we're gonna tell you about a wide variety of options you have in the early childhood space and what to look for when you start vetting providers. We're also gonna talk about an ongoing effort to completely revamp our early childhood system in a way that could make this whole process easier for both families and those providing quality care and education for our kids. But before that, we'll discuss some ugly truths about our existing system. My name is Will Holden and this is Better Beginnings. Welcome back to Better Beginnings, a four-episode special edition podcast on how to navigate Colorado's complex early childhood system. More importantly, the show is searching for an answer to this question. How do we make our early childhood system better? As I said, my name's Will, and I'm the Director of Communications and Storytelling at Gary Community Ventures. And this is a special edition podcast on navigating Colorado's complex early childhood system. It's being produced by our organization's certified B Corp known as Gary Ventures, in support of the Coalition for Better Beginnings. It's our goal to help all Colorado kids and families gain the same access to opportunity. Before we get into this episode, we should mention that this is a serial-style podcast, so this whole show will make more sense if you go back to the beginning and start with episode one. If you've not heard episode one, we'd recommend giving that a listen before continuing. Speaking of episode one, that's when we introduced you to Brooke and Worth Bird, The two live together in Arvada, and they're expecting their first child in July, Baby Boy Bird, as they've currently, and cutely, dubbed him. Brooke works for the Denver District Attorney's Office as the Anti-Trafficking Alliance Director. That means she protects our kids from predators. Worth works for Denver Human Services in their Family and Adult Assistance Division. He helps clients apply for and navigate various public assistance programs. And we happen to think that these two, along with thousands of working families like them, deserve a better early childhood system, one that sets all of our kids up for success. When we sat down with them on March 1st, the birds were planning on getting creative to cover the care of their child for the first three months, basically from July to October. But as full-time working parents, they need a long-term childcare solution to kick in on October 1st. Prior to March 1st, the birds had been on the childcare hunt for about three months, without much luck. In the last episode, we told you they were on a waitlist to a waitlist. That means the birds had found a childcare center that they liked, but in order to get on that center's waitlist, they first had to take a tour, and there was a waitlist to take that tour. Thus, the waitlist to the waitlist. The birds finally got off that first waitlist on March 15th, and thanks to the graciousness of the childcare provider you're about to meet, we were able to tag along for the birds' first ever childcare center tour. As we follow the birds, we also want to be of service to all of you expecting and new parents out there. I'm the father to a two-year-old who's currently in childcare right now. So I've been on a few of these tours myself, but I'm no expert. Thankfully, we work with a lot of folks who are. With their help, we're gonna tell you what to look for as you start to consider your early childhood care and education options. So without further ado, welcome to Arvada West KinderCare.
1: Hi, good morning, we're the birds. We're here for a daycare tour. Thank
0: you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you betcha. I'm Tammy. I'm the school director here. Thank you. Oh, sorry. sorry. Go right ahead. You bet. You too. Okay. Oh my goodness. Just
1: yep. Take your time.
2: That's Tammy Stilson, Executive Director of Arvada West KinderCare. Her center is located just a couple miles from the Bird's house, but KinderCare is a national provider of child care and education services headquartered in Portland, Oregon. We reached out to the local care location, as well as their national office, to see if we could join this tour. While they were happy to let us give a microphone to Brooke to record, they declined to speak to us for the show. There is absolutely no bad blood on our end for that. We know all too well how busy these folks are. Case in point, outside of the day-to-day stuff you just heard Tammy tending to, and the staff development work she'll describe later, there's a host of taxing admin responsibilities these centers have to navigate, according to Diane Price, and she would know. She's been president and CEO of Early Connections Learning Centers in Colorado Springs for 33 years.
3: In quality, we want well educated, degreed people in our classrooms, and particularly as leaders in our centers, as directors. And we find them, and then we put them into a system that is about billing, collecting fees, finding insurance, workers' compensation, HR laws, health, safety, building code and they never have the opportunity to use their skill sets to enhance their programs and to make them better.
2: We don't want to speak for Tammy though. As she explained to the birds on her tour, even as she wears all sorts of hats, Tammy also finds time to train her teachers and provide them with needed professional support as they care for and guide our youngest learners. That includes multiple dedicated professional development days for KinderCare teachers each year. And it seems Tammy is well qualified to proctor those trainings. She has multiple degrees and certification in early childhood care and education, and she was a teacher herself before she became a director. It's a career arc that's very similar to Diane's.
3: My degree is in early care and education, and I carried my love of children and working in early care and education from the Midwest to Colorado. I was had the great fortune of being selected as the president and CEO of Early Connections Learning Centers 33 years ago. And so um, through that work in our community, I've become particularly engaged in the system building at the state level, and interested in how we can improve that for children and families in our in our state and in our community.
2: When it comes to advocating for a better early childhood system, Diane's about as respected a voice as you'll find. And that's in part because of the work she's done leading and expanding Early Connections, which has provided care and guidance to Colorado Springs kids and families for 125 years.
3: Our mission today is not that different than our mission in in 1897. And it's really about support for working families and making sure that children have access to high-quality
2: early learning. But what does quality early learning mean? It's a loaded question, and it's one Brooke and Worth have struggled to answer. They're not alone, Diane says.
3: So how do parents know what quality is? How do they find that? How do they find the hours that they need, the program that they need, the relationships they need, Is it comprehensive in nature? And I think they struggle.
2: Brooke and Worth walked into Arvada West Kindercare with those kinds of questions. Thankfully, Tammy was on hand to answer them.
0: Let's start this way. What questions do you guys have? Because that'll make it a lot easier for us, me to be able to make sure I'm hitting your bullet points of what you're wanting and needing.
2: That's a loaded question too. What questions should you have for early childhood care, education, and service providers? We went to the experts for this one. You met Steph Clothier in episode one. She's our director of school readiness at Gary Community Ventures. She's been working in the early childhood space since the Clinton administration, and she's seen a whole lot of best and worst practices since then. Let's start by considering the early childhood services search from the perspective of a family who needs financial assistance. The birds know they won't qualify for assistance, but for families that do, here's what Steph had to say.
4: My advice to them is you're gonna to have to do all the things to go see what you're eligible for. So if you're uh, low enough income, you should. I can help you figure out where the Head Start providers are and that's gonna offer you a good amount of care.
2: But what if your income level isn't low enough to qualify for Head Start? If your child is under three, Steph says.
4: You'll need help navigating the county system if you're gonna go through and try to get childcare assistance.
2: And if your child is older?
4: If you've got a three or four year old, I can help you understand how to apply through your district for for preschool.
2: Okay, so the current order of operations to follow if you're going to seek financial assistance for early childhood services as of April 2022 is this. Start by asking your locally administered Head Start program if you're eligible to receive support. If you're not, and your child is under three years old, go to your county and ask if you're eligible for the Colorado Child Care Assistance Program, or CCAP for short. If your child's older than three, go to your school district and ask if you're eligible for the Colorado Preschool Program. Now, let's say one of these entities granted you financial assistance. What next?
4: The matchup of assistance and an actual provider is the hard part. (laughs) Like, do do you have your assistance at the time that you also have a spot is not always lined up, and that is really, really challenging for families.
2: Jess Atkins is a mom who told us all about the struggle of matching assistance to providers in episode one. So give that episode a listen if you want some context there. But why wouldn't all early childhood providers accept all forms of assistance? Early Connections is one of the few that does. And Diane explained just how difficult it is to manage all those funding streams.
3: The provider community is stretched thin. We're a not-for-profit, so we have philanthropic dollars, which makes it a little easier for us than a for-profit. But we also have a partnership with one of our school districts. So we have the ability to blend some of the Colorado Preschool Program dollars with parent fees or subsidy dollars. We have a partnership with our Head Start grantee. So we have the ability to bring some contractual dollars from Head Start and blend those and braid those. It's not easy.
2: (sighs) It's tough to hear Steph and Diane talk about this convoluted process, especially when you consider the human cost of it all, the kids the working families, the child care providers trying to manage all of these funding streams. These are three groups of humans who are absolutely vital to our society and to our economy. And our early childhood system, as it exists today, is grinding them all down. But what about families who don't need financial assistance? Is the system any easier to navigate for them? Families who
4: are private pay families have just as much trouble, right? Because they have to figure out like which website they're going to use to be able to search for care. They don't know whether there are any spaces. They don't know what the tuition is. And then they have to do what everyone does, which is go look at all of those places and then see which ones feel right to you, whether they are a center or a home or some other arrangement and, and make their own decisions. So you need to feel confident about it. You need to understand what you're looking for in terms of quality and you need to be able to afford it.
2: Alright, so finding quality early childhood providers is going to be tough for everyone, but Steph just hit on the three categories of questions you should be asking on your search. For starters, you need to ask questions that help you gain confidence in your overall direction. The birds are already feeling pretty good on that front. They've searched online and they've found a list of a couple dozen child care providers, and their list includes center-based programs, which are larger providers with physical facilities, Their list includes home-based programs, which are smaller providers, usually hosted at the director's home, and their list includes nanny share with a question mark next to it. That's a backup plan for many working parents. Right now, Arvada West KinderCare is at the top of the bird's list. They're confident this center-based program provides the best mix of what they need. It's close to their home, it provides the hours of care they need, it offers care from the ages of birth to five, And generally speaking, the birds know how much it's going to cost, but we'll re-examine that cost factor shortly. The second subset of questions Steph says you must consider are related to the quality of the provider. Things like teacher-to-child ratio, the training of staff members, what the daily schedule looks like, what kinds of communications you'll receive as a family, different learning strategies that are used, whether meals, snacks, and supplies are provided, as well as how providers approach nap schedules and fussy kiddos. When it comes to these questions, the birds said Arvada West Kindercare hit it out of the park. Let's rejoin their tour.
0: All of our activities are purposeful. They're purposeful for their development. And so it's it's important that we know where their development sits.
2: That was a big selling point for Brooke, who hadn't considered just how much learning and development takes place before kids hit the age of one.
1: I feel like there were areas that, like I said, being a new mom, I don't even think about, like the executive function or um, the physical development and wellness, like um, helping them with, develop their core strength. They don't, uh, kinder care doesn't have like little bouncers or other things that they actually keep the kids in um, so that they can be encouraged, you know, to develop in their muscles and their movement and mm-hmm. things like that.
2: For her part, Tammy said that's not just a good marketing line either. You can see the proof of infants developing, she says, by observing them in her classrooms.
0: My babies play hide-and-seek, and and they roll the balls at each other. Social development is so important, and it shows with our babies.
2: As if Tammy's word wasn't enough, Brooke and Worth got an up-close and personal look at those babies. Hi. (laughs) Wow.
0: So this is our infant room. They're very busy. Miss Nikki is on the side over there. She's one. And this is Miss Christy. Hi there. This is Miss Alicia. Like I said, she just started with us. And these are our babies. Oh my
1: goodness. (laughs) (laughs) These are all babies. It's hard to believe that's coming so soon.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was a whirlwind tour through that infant room, but it impressed Worth. He was especially impressed with the 5 to 1 child to
5: teacher ratio. Yeah, that's kind of the ratio you want, like 1 to 5. And when we went into the classrooms, that was represented as well. So that's impressive. Yeah.
1: It was good to see each of the children getting the attention that they needed. Um, like you said, they were changing diapers, they were doing feedings. Somebody was you know, watching all the, the little kids crawling around on the floor
2: doing their little activities. Last but not least, there's the hours of care. Kindercare center hours vary depending on location, but this one's open from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday, all year with the only closures being for major holidays. That includes President's Day and Indigenous People's Day closures, during which time all kindercare centers are closed for professional development days. That's a ton of childcare coverage for working families. And while the birds may not need it, Tammy explains that many of her families are able to use this childcare time to recharge, which in turn helps them become the parents they want to be for their kids. So long story short, the birds gave major kudos to KinderCare and to Tammy. They checked all the boxes in terms of the family's quality questions. But there's still one burning question that Brooke needs answered, and it was the first one she posed to Tammy when prompted.
1: I think the most important question is, is um, when I called to set up the tour a couple weeks ago, it was in not, maybe in an August waitlist for infants, so I'm curious where we are now, it two is, weeks later. It is
0: August okay. still. So. Um, If you guys are needing sooner, is August gonna be perfect? We were
1: looking at October, November, so. That's
0: fine. (laughs) Pretty sure I've got a spot with one of my kiddos that's probably gonna be transitioning out around the same time you guys are gonna be starting, so it'll it'll work probably out just fine.
2: Okay, folks, I really don't wanna undersell this moment. After three months of searching and worrying, the birds were just informed there is a childcare spot available for them when they need it. For so many families, the birds included, this moment feels like winning the lottery. Rook described it when we spoke with her after the tour.
1: You know, in our our previous interviews, though, you were like, what are you looking for in a daycare? And it's just like, at this point, it's that there's an opening. And so it's a huge relief. Um, So it's not as desperate of a situation as it felt like several months ago, which I know we are probably some in the minority of. um, So we're grateful for that.
2: There's a but coming, though. I mean, you can almost feel it, right? Yes. Yes, there is. And it's related to the third subset of questions that Steph gave us for parents to consider on the hunt for early childhood services. Those are questions about cost. Brooke and Worth generally know how much Arvada West Kindercare is gonna cost, but on the tour, Tammy explained one additional wrinkle they hadn't yet considered. It's worth pointing out that for families with means, this is the one financial tool you can use to gain a leg up in our existing early childhood system. and Tammy's about to let the birds in on this secret.
0: So and here's heres so here's how that works. This is that you guys will put in you'll do the registration fee. Mm-hmm. you'll register him okay mm-hmm. and you're gonna set the date that you want as his first day okay And then that is gonna where it's gonna put you on the wait list. okay When we do it that way, it allows us the freedom of knowing when we have families starting or not. okay. The only thing I can tell you though is, is that if I have an opening that's sooner and you're that next slot, gotcha. you might wanna be willing to take that slot. Or you might, just to keep your spot, right. you might wanna be paying for those weeks regardless. Okay. Just so then that way you know, and come October when you're ready, mm-hmm. his spot is there.
2: What Tammy is very graciously telling Brooke and Worth is that she will likely have an opening on August 1st. So if they list their desired start date as October 1st, They could get leapfrogged on the waitlist by a family who indicates they need childcare starting on August 1st. So in order to ensure you have a slot when you need it, sometimes it pays to literally pay for that slot before you actually end up sending your child to that provider. That means those who can afford to pay for these extra weeks have an advantage in our existing system. Let's be clear here. The inequities at play in this situation weren't created by private care facilities like KinderCare and these facilities can't really control these conditions either. Much to the contrary, private providers tend to be controlled by these conditions, Diane explains.
3: It is a broken system. Early care and education has been broken. It's broken everywhere. It's a single payer system. It's what families can pay. And we have to think about that when we think about quality, educated teachers, high quality programs.
2: For most private early childhood providers, keeping all of their spots filled provides the best pathway to create quality programming. And it's a major juggling act to do that well, because, as Tammy explains, it's not like families are all having babies at the same time.
0: We have um, lots of new starts, but a lot of our new starts are happening in um, April, May, and June, Mm -hmm. right around the time that he's gonna be born. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I have lots of other ones up there that are actually going to be transitioning out around the same time it's as he comes in. Yeah. So it's kind of a fun little dance flow that we have.
1: I would not so, want to manage that, but yeah, good it's, job. It's,
0: oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank goodness the company came up with yeah. this because there's no way I'd probably be, to be like, what, what am I doing again?
2: <laughs> That's right. Good job, Tammy. And good job, KinderCare, for putting the right system and supports behind Tammy so that she can be successful as a director. But why does it have to be this way? Why are we stuck with a system where our kids' futures depend on how much money their families have to invest in their care and education in these crucial first five years? For Brooke and Worth, determining whether to pay to reserve a spot is challenging, and not just because of how it might affect them.
1: If we had to pay that, that would be very, very challenging. We would, but it just seems, again, that's that first month of life for our our kid or a second and uh we certainly wouldn't be giving bringing him to daycare As uh, so to hold that spot is will be very frustrating
5: yeah or people that are holding spots that aren't even pregnant yet you know like where's the regulation and how is this not benefiting those that have more disposable income you know it's my concern
2: also concerning if and when Brooke and brookenworth enroll baby boy bird with arvada west kindercare they'll be paying $440 a week, or roughly $1,750 a month. That's led to some sobering conversations about whether they can actually foot this bill.
1: The cost of daycare takes up a little over a quarter of our income. Uh, so kind of buckling down and learning how to, to budget that.
5: It's a quarter of our net, right?
2: Yes.
1: So again, but excitement, but then reality.
5: <laughs> yeah.
2: A couple weeks after the tour, Brooke and Worth did decide to put down the deposit to hold the spot at KinderCare on August 1st. And they're willing and able to pay for the extra two months of care before their child actually starts attending on October 1st. But in the meantime, they're gonna keep looking to see if there's any other options out there that better fit their socioeconomic realities, as Worth puts it. At the same time, they're also considering ways to change or improve those socioeconomic realities.
5: So I'm no stranger to taking on another job? Um, if that were the case, uh, I do have some background in the service industry, um, but it's been a while. I haven't had to do that kind of work in a long time. Not that there's anything wrong with that work. I'm just rusty and a little bit older now. Um,
1: there's a big demand for it.
5: <laughs> yeah, things are opening back up. So I feel like I you know, could get a job that doesn't necessarily align with my professional goals. Uh, but I'd definitely be willing to do that.
2: I've got to admit. As a dad, listening to Worth discuss this possibility hits me right in the heartstrings. Because that's the dad you want right there. The type of guy who's willing to make sacrifices not for himself, not for his career, but for his kid, for his family. Those are the kinds of sacrifices women have been making for generations, and there are a bunch of families out there making those kinds of sacrifices right now. So why does our system force soon-to-be-great parents like Brooke and Worth to make these kinds of decisions? And do we have to settle for this status quo? Finally, it's time for some good news, Colorado families. We don't have to settle for this. Here's why.
3: So we've been so fortunate to have um, a governor, Governor Polis, who really embraces early care and education, first with his platform of full-day kindergarten, which has always been a challenge in our state, and and then with his platform of universal pre-K. So Governor Polis said, I want universal pre-K and we got it through our tax initiative, but he didn't stop there.
2: The tax initiative Diane is describing is Proposition EE. We talked about it in episode one. Prop EE instituted a 5.5 cent tax on nicotine products in Colorado to fund universal pre-K, or UPK for short. But to Diane's point, that was just the beginning of a mounting sea change for our early childhood sector. House Bill 1304 has since created the Colorado Department of Early Childhood, which is meant to ensure the promises of Prop EE are implemented with families and providers in mind. The Early Childhood Leadership Commission was then established as Governor Polis's Early Childhood Advisory Body. Diane and Steph were part of that commission, as were a slew of other childcare, education, policy, business, and philanthropic leaders. This group led a statewide stakeholder engagement process that generated recommendations for how this new department would operate and how Colorado's new universal pre-K program would be outlined. The commission's unanimously approved stakeholder recommendations served as the basis for House Bill 22-1295, which was just passed by Colorado lawmakers in the 2022 legislative session. That's an update from our last episode, and Governor Polis is now expected to sign this bill the week of April 25th. Before we get into how this bill could transform our early childhood system, we first have to understand what UPK means, and what it doesn't mean, so far as Prop Prop.E. E. defined it. The long and short of it is this. Universal Pre-K guarantees families at least 10 hours of free early childhood education per week during the school year for every Colorado child in that year before they enter kindergarten. It's a great start, especially when you consider the system we had before reached only about a quarter of Colorado's four-year-olds. But we also know this UPK system only guarantees part-time, part-year coverage for working families, many of whom need full-time, full-year coverage. And UPK also doesn't guarantee any coverage for families with kids under the age of three. Diane summarizes why UPK by itself won't quite be enough to solve our early childhood system problems.
3: And we need to create a model that addresses the 10 and a half hours or a preschool but also helps our community understand the need for families from 6 30 to 6 and how do we blend those dollars and make it more affordable for families so that they don't have to jump through so many hoops to understand what they're eligible for
2: the recently passed house bill 22 aims to do just that specifically This bill aims to ensure one universal, accountable preschool program, one that would start by offering more hours of care and education for families who need them. This bill also ensures one simple application that matches families to available financial aid and to the childcare and preschool options that best suit their needs. Last but not least, this bill unifies all Colorado early childhood programs and services under the new Department of Early Childhood, making it easier for families to find the services they need while diminishing administrational responsibilities for providers, thus freeing them up to focus on delivering quality programs. It all sounds relatively simple, right? So why is creating this kind of universal system such a struggle, Steph?
4: <laughs> that's a good lead-in. <clears throat> um, I think the hard part about this legislation, and it's not so much the words that are on the paper, but the opportunity ahead of us is to transform the system, and that's hard for people. That means that people who are currently running the systems that have been in place for a long, long time are going to be asked to do something different and are going to be asked to think differently, to be in a different structure. And that that's a lot of
3: change.
2: Now that this bill is passed, there are two specific changes Diane sees coming that could create some heartburn.
3: This will involve money, so we kind of pull our chips in. And I think we have to push our chips into the middle. I think we're going to have to come to some agreement from our two systems of the K-12 system and the birth to five system.
2: House Bill 221295 calls for a mixed delivery model. That means under the new Department of Early Childhood, funding for our early care and education services will be administered across home, school, and community-based centers, including those like early connections and care. Combining public and private resources is always tricky, especially when it comes to education. There's often valid concern among highly regulated public entities that their private sector counterparts skirt rules or lack scrutiny. Diane understands that. In this kind of system, Diane explains there are still a lot of questions to consider as well about how we handle special education, how we measure program effectiveness, and how we improve pay for providers. But she also sees benefits for families if the entire early childhood community could band together to expand and diversify the system. And the early childhood sector seems to be trending towards this type of collaborative approach. Jefferson County Public Schools already has a universal technology platform called jeffcofamiliescolorado.org. That helps families find both public and private resources. The Denver Preschool Program, which we talked about in episode one, blends funding streams for families and then helps connect them to public and private providers who accept those funding streams. Diane herself has forged a promising partnership with Fountain-Fort Carson School District 8 to help fill in gaps in El Paso County's early childhood system.
3: We have to agree that there's a place for all of us in this system of services in Birth to Five. And one place is not necessarily better than the other. It's what the family needs, so if you want four days a week, two and a half hours a day, you can get it. There's preschools for that. And there's school districts that will do that because school districts probably can't do full day, full year. If you need preschool and you need full day, full year, why not create opportunities for you to find that as a family?
2: Why not indeed? Given that House Bill 221295 just passed with bipartisan support and is likely now been signed by Governor Polis, that's the end of the show, right? Not exactly. According to Diane and Steph, there are still a lot of decisions left to be made and work left to be done if this new Department of Early Childhood is actually gonna deliver on its promises to kids, families, and providers. And the stakes are high.
3: These are our children, and there is nothing more important than what we do with our very young children, nothing. And so how do we be accountable to parents, to schools, to government, to our taxpayers? because they're funding this and they're telling us, we believe in you, this is what we need in Colorado, we expect you to do it.
2: Next time on Better Beginnings. We're gonna give the birds a chance to talk to one of the folks who just helped pass House Bill 22-1295. That person is State Senator Brittany Pedersen. She currently represents District 22 which is the Byrd's home district in Jefferson County. And here's the kicker about Senator Pedersen. Not only did she just help pass this bill, she may have the opportunity to bring the voices of Colorado families to a national stage. State Senator Pedersen now has a chance to become U.S. Representative Pedersen after recently earning the Democratic nomination to run for Ed Perlmutter's soon-to-be-vacated seat. It's expected to be one of the most competitive house races in the country this fall. Suffice to say, the birds aren't taking this opportunity to speak with their representative lightly.
5: We know about the ages of people that run the country. I mean, look at our president. Uh, (laughs) Those people haven't had to rear children in 50 years. So uh, this is probably another generational issue that we're dealing with, as well as, you know, inflation and the pandemic and the environment. Um, So I definitely think we need to shine a spotlight on it. Hear, hear, Worth. Hear, hear.
2: Gary Ventures is proud to support the Coalition for Better Beginnings, and all those invested in creating a simpler, more equitable early childhood system for Colorado families and providers. There's a huge list of mighty allies behind this campaign, and we'd be here, like, all day if we were to give them all the recognition they deserve. But we do want to give special thanks to the Colorado Children's Campaign, who have taken a vital leadership role in this coalition. A special thanks is also due to Diane Price, Melissa Withers, and their whole team at Early Connections Learning Centers. The childcare, education, and advocacy work they're doing for kids and families in Colorado is nothing short of heroic, and we can't thank them enough for lending their voices to this show. Thanks as well to Tammy Stilson, Emily Snyder, and the team at KinderCare for letting us join the birds on their tour of KinderCare Arvada West. And thanks to the KinderCare team writ large for the work they do to support kids and families in those crucial first five years of life. We also have to continue to thank Clayton Early Learning Center. They're one of the key service providers here in Denver, and they helped connect us to Brooke and Worth for this podcast. Speaking of whom, thanks enough can never be provided to the birds. They've been so courageous in speaking out about our need for a better early childhood system, and it's our privilege to be able to share their story with you. Our executive producers on this podcast are Sharice Harris, Damian Lee Natale, Mike Johnston, and Steph Clothier. You heard Steph on this episode, and we can't thank her enough for lending us her infinite wisdom. Armand Piku and the talented team at Center Table edit this podcast. Last but not least, Algernon Ferlis Jr. is my storytelling partner in crime and our magnanimous producer of all media at Gary Ventures. Literally, none of this happens without him. See you next time.